Welcome to South African Birth Stories. I'm Megan and today I get the privilege of bringing you a beautiful birth story. I interview Megan who speaks of the birth of her first child, Rumi, which was a planned home birth. She talks about preparing for a home birth and negotiating the opinions of others. This story is very uplifting and heartwarming and Megan describes the birth so beautifully. We can all be encouraged by this story, so please enjoy. Hi Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. I believe your little girl Rumi is having an afternoon nap, so we can take this opportunity to talk about your pregnancy and birth. So okay. first up, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, yes, so I am. Um, I live in Cape Town in South Africa and uh, this was my our first baby. Um, so uh, we gave birth or I gave birth I'm not sure <laughs> how people refer to it nowadays <laughs> if we are pregnant or just I am pregnant um gave birth in February of, uh, this year and yeah it was a really empowering birth so I'm really excited to be talking about it um both my husband and I work full-time and um we got married at the end of uh, 2018 so um pregnant it was in so it was may so we'd only been married for a couple of months uh, when we fell pregnant but yeah awesome thanks so you weren't married for long did you plan to get pregnant we actually we actually didn't no we didn't plan to get pregnant at this time Our kids were always on the cards for us but um we thought we'd definitely wait a while um, and give our marriage some time before before diving into that. Um, and we have quite a, a, a unique, strange story because uh, we went on honeymoon straight after our wedding and uh, it all came to a crashing end. We had an accident. Well, I had an accident um, in the uh, body surfing in Sri Lanka and I broke my humerus in three places, so really badly. And we had to fly home uh, and I had had surgery. So the start of our married life was quite traumatic. And um, so for that reason, we definitely thought we would um, extend the time before having, having children. And I actually ended up falling pregnant in that May. Uh, so it was a big surprise. And uh, it's become a bit of a, um, a well-known story now just because after three months of um, post-surgery, after my arm breaking, there was just no bone growth at all. And so we, and I was going to have to have a bone graft where they take uh, tissue from my hip, which wasn't gonna be a, a good experience. So I literally had a month to try and get my bone healing. So I went on every kind of tincture you can think of and went to every kind of holistic healer and medical practitioner and did everything in my power to grow some bone and um in the interim grew a baby <laughs> so what we, we joke about me going on a bone growth diet and it actually made me so fertile it turns out so the pregnancy was a surprise uh, a lot earlier than we had planned but wow. um yeah it it resulted in a very low risk and easy pregnancy that's a great story so did you have any symptoms early on how did you know you were pregnant when I, you um, weren't expecting I, it? I missed my period and um I think you know I'd be I'd been off the pill for about three years and was just using a, a period app on my phone um just to make sure we weren't going to fall pregnant and um yeah tracking my ovulation and all of that and so I missed my period and I'd only missed my period maybe twice before that. And within a few days of taking a pregnancy test, I, I, you know, my period came on. So, um, just to eliminate any stress, I, I took a, um, I bought a pregnancy test and literally, uh, as I was peeing on the stick, it just started flashing. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it, yeah. And then, and so I had no really real symptoms before that, except I think my boobs were a bit tender and, um, and it was positive and we yeah, had to take it from there. Um, after that, looking back, I think there was one, one time where I was quite ill and thought I had a bit of food poisoning. Um, other than that, there were no symptoms. And then 
the morning sickness sort of started for that first trimester. But on the 12-week mark, it literally disappeared. The nausea just, yeah, left. And telling Jerry, uh, your husband, um, was he there when you did the test? How did you go about telling him? Yes, so I kind of, you know, you never, with these things, you never want to uh, get too excited or too stressed. So I told him I'd missed my period and, I, and we went off to get the pregnancy test. Um, and he, he was downstairs when I did it. And yeah, I literally just started screaming from upstairs <laughs> for him to come. <laughs> Um, and we were both kind of, uh, you know, shocked and uh, admittedly the, you know, the first things that go through your mind when it's unplanned like that are all the things that are going to have to change, you know. And um, so we kind of, I started listing the things I wasn't going to be able to do. You know, I wasn't going to be able to run the marathon I'd planned for and we weren't going to be able to do our honeymoon again and um, all those things. And then you start um thinking about all the positives and you get really excited. So the first day and night, we were just a mixed bag of emotions. And, um, but once it settled in, there, there was just kind of no turning back. You know, you just get so um, excited and, and apprehensive, of course, at times about the reality. But um, yeah, we very quickly became quite, quite excited. That's fantastic. And so I think people with planned pregnancies sometimes have a bit of an idea about where they want to birth and how they want to birth. And I guess with um, not planning this, how did you go about making a birth plan? So I had um, a few years ago, I was actually working in, in Japan at an international kindergarten. I've always loved children. I've always um, loved sort of the early years development phase even though I work in marketing and in, in corporate, in the corporate world, I've always loved that sort of, um, that side of life. And uh, a lady had given me, and I will find the reference um, for the end of the podcast. She had given me a French movie about childbirth around the world. And it had just totally opened my eyes to the reality of childbirth and the different ways that, that you could give birth um, and what happens around the world and how different everyone's story is. Um, and that, that just opened my eyes to what was possible and that I didn't have to necessarily follow what um, doctors or gynees were telling me. So for a long time, I'd always been interested in childbirth and I'd, I'd always known that um, I, I might want to do things differently. And at the time of falling pregnant, I didn't have a gynecologist that I was seeing. I was just seeing a woman's health doctor for sort of annual checkups. So I needed to start that journey of finding a gynee. And I had known about birth options uh, in South Africa, well, in Cape Town, as one of the only places really where you could uh, sign up for a home birth with the right support. So it was definitely a first port of call for me. Um, but we did need to find a gynae for that initial check and scan to confirm the pregnancy and check everything was in order. And that's when I think all the opinions started coming in, you know, when you start asking around of which gynees to use and who people recommend. So we, we kind of shopped around a bit um, and got our, yeah, we saw a gynae who I, I didn't really connect with them, but we got that first scan done and confirmed the pregnancy. And then we went on to, um, to see birth options. So that's how the sort of the process started. Um, the medical aid systems in South Africa are also very interesting in finding out what they cover and what they don't cover. So we were kind of having to weigh up, you know, what we could afford, uh, what the medical aid would be covering and how we would go about doing things. Uh, I think uh, it's your 12 week or 13 week big scan that you, that you take um, at the fetal assessment clinic. Uh, and once you've got the all clear from that, it also helps you make that decision because obviously if you have got a high risk pregnancy or there are going to be complications, uh, you would, we would have probably veered more towards a more medical um, sort of support system. Yeah. Uh, but we were given the all clear and everything seemed to be in order and I was low risk. So we made the decision to stick with birth options completely um, and go with their backup gynae, who was Dr. Waldu at Constantia Berg. And at this stage, um, birth options, I know they'd previously done some births in hospitals, but were they just doing home birth 
um, when you booked in. Is that correct? Yes, they had. Um, when I signed up with them, they were affiliated with a hospital and a backup gynae. So you could choose to have a home birth or you could choose to be in hospital with them as your support. So you would have a hospital birth, but um, obviously aiming for a natural birth and in a much more uh, sort of, I'd almost like to say welcoming, less clinical environment. Um, and then the, the gynae is there on standby should, you, should any complications arise and, and you need to have an intervention for a cesarean. So you decided to have a home birth and can you tell us, did you have any apprehension about having a home birth and what were some of the opinions of your family and friends and um, how did you deal with those opinions? Absolutely. I think the, the biggest thing that um, comes up, I think at the moment you fall pregnant, you, you realise that everyone's got uh, their opinions and everyone's got a different story and some advice to give you. So we really had to put our blinkers on <laughs> and um, be quite selective in what we heard when people spoke to us. Uh, we actually come from a family with a few medical practitioners. So uh, we, we had to, we, we were, um, yeah, telling our family that we were aiming for a home birth was um, something we were bracing ourselves for. Um, and we had to look at why that was. And, and then the main reason was safety. They were concerned for our safety. So, we literally just had to reassure them. When we told them, we made sure we had done all of our homework uh, until we knew that we were ready for a home birth and that we had been given the go ahead. We, I think we, we're, yeah, we only told them right near the end that we had been approved as such for a home birth, even though we knew that that's you know, always the way we wanted to go. Just making sure we had done our homework and just reassuring our family that no matter what happens, safety of the baby and of me comes first and that the slightest bit of concern from the midwife and the slightest bit of um, uh, yeah, any, any sight of anything not going according to plan, we would be in that car or in that ambulance and on the way to the hospital. Um, it was, I think for them, a big relief knowing that there was a gynae on call, that the hospital had been notified when I went into labor, that they were ready for me should anything happen. So that really reassured them. And from that moment on, we had their support. Um, as you know, once they knew that we were all, we weren't doing this willy nilly, we were being really responsible about it. Um, and then also just looking at the fact that should I need a cesarean in hospital, it would have taken the same amount of time to get me prepped for that cesarean as it would have taken for me to, you know, for them to get ready for me and for me to drive to the hospital. So I think just being really realistic about the whole situation uh, eased the anxiety <laughs> for, from the family. And that we, of course, had, had their full support from that moment on. Yeah, that's really good. And, and how are you feeling leading up into your due date about everything? Um, you know, like, like I said, I had a pretty easy pregnancy from what I gather, apart from, you know, the morning sickness, which is actually every day, all day sickness. I don't know why it's got that name. Um, and a lot of heartburn and, and your typical sort of aches and pains leading up to it. Um, I feel very fortunate that I, in, in, from what I gather, I had a quite an easy pregnancy. So there were obviously these fluctuating emotions um, and anxieties that would arise. So I found it really important just to manage that. Um, I'm a firm believer in, um, you know, manifestation and, and the power of, of the mind. I think our minds are incredibly strong. So I was really just sort of pressing into that during my pregnancy. And we did do a hypnobirthing course in Cape Town. It was a five-week course. And that, I think, just really, really helped us, uh, both Jerry and I. He did the course with me. Um, and, you know, I think, I know, hypnobirthing, it, it, it sounds quite, um, I think a lot of people say hippie or airy-fairy. And it, it is, of course, um, for those who don't know, it, it really is aimed at, uh, you know, the power of visualization and meditation and um, how you can eliminate the fear in your, in your childbirth. But I think more than that, what I took from the hypnobirthing course was the education and the understanding of childbirth and what is happening in your body at the various stages of labor. And I found that that information just really set me up for success in my childbirth. That, you know, there wasn't any 
any question that I, that wasn't unanswered. Um, I knew I was just prepared physically. I was prepared for what was going to happen. Obviously a lot is out of our hands, but just having an understanding of what was going on in my body at the different stages of labor and with each contraction that really, really helped me. Um, so I think before, you know, weeks before, um, birth, I was already prepared and my mindset was in the right place. So that definitely helped leading up to the birth. That's really great. And now for your birth story. So, I mean, really feel free to take this where you like, but when did labor start and what happened? So it was, I think, um, a few days before the 40-week due date, we started um, trying all of these old wives' tales to try and get labor starting, the raspberry leaf tea and these weird mm. Italian meals that you know supposedly bring on labor. Um, we did everything that we could, mainly because um, my maternity leave was starting and I didn't really want to start, <laughs> you know, have weeks of maternity leave without a baby. And um, the morning, so the, the, it was, I think it must have been a Monday morning um, before my due date, I woke up early and I was having a few sort of period cramps, which I hadn't had throughout the pregnancy. And these started coming quite regularly, just sort of cramps that would um, subside, maybe say every 20 minutes they'd come on for a couple of seconds. And they started getting a little bit more intense. So this is from about half past six in the morning. Um, and everyone just tells you to get on with your day and, you know, carry on as normal. So that's what I did. I got up, I showered, I, you know, cleaned the, the kitchen and did some shopping. I think I went to the spring to fill up our water bottles um, and just carried on. And the other thing I just remember people telling me is that you need to rest because you may be in for a long haul. So in between that, I was just sort of kicking my feet up. I was putting on my meditation every now and then just to try and really relax and let my body do its thing. And um, yeah, you know, you hear stories of people sort of laboring for 24 hours odd. So I was just getting ready for, for a long haul. And Jerry finished work at about half past four in the afternoon. And at that point, I was getting these cramps sort of every nine minutes. They were speeding up and getting that much more intense. I was really having to focus at this point um, on my breathing and working through them. And he suggested we go for a walk or even go for a swim in the sea. And at that point, I just knew that, you know, this was happening and there was no chance I was getting back in a car. Um, I'd even taken our house cleaner to the station, uh, you know, when she had finished up and had a quite a stressful drive home having contractions <laughs> in traffic. And yeah, so we just kind of, um, we yeah had a little regroup and got our heads around the fact that this was potentially going to happen this that evening we had all of our things ready we had a hospital bag bag packed and should we need it we had our towels and sheets and all those kinds of things ready so we we basically just got ourselves kitted out for the home birth we had planned and jerry then called um sue the midwife she was on duty you know at birth options there are a few midwives and whoever's on call at the time is is who you who you get to see and sue uh, was on on call and she basically just told us to you know carry on with the breathing work through the the contractions and her instruction to us was to call her again when our contractions were sort of uh, three minutes apart and lasting for over for over an hour, so which sounds quite daunting to you know sit through a whole hour of contractions every three minutes, but it got to that point, um, and we gave her a call and she came through. Jerry had uh, blown up the the birthing pool at this point, um, and filled it up with hot water, so that was ready for us as well. And I got into the water just before Sue arrived. Uh, so my contractions had been a perfect three minutes apart, lasting a minute each. And I think that was the one um, joy also of just having an, 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 an understanding of these contractions or surges, as a lot of people call them. You know, they, they normally only last for a minute, for 60 seconds. And, and that's quite a, uh, it's, it's quite doable, you know, to just get through 60 seconds of discomfort and pressure. So it was at that point I got into the pool because we knew Sue was coming. And immediately I just had such relief. Um, 
of, of pain. I was so much more relaxed. And in turn, what that did was actually slow down the contractions, um, which made Jerry a bit stressed. You know, he thought, oh, he's made a balls up now and he's, you know, slowed down the labor. Uh, but as he, I think Sue arrived, the midwife arrived, he's like, I'm so sorry, I've messed this up. I've put her in the pool too early and we've slowed down labor. And I think like Sue reassured us, you know, the more relaxed I was, the easier this was going to be. So the water was too hot. We, we discovered, I think it was about 40 degrees. Um, it should have been about 37, I think, or 34 body temperature. Um, so we tried to cool that down and Sue uh, got me out the water just to, just to check how I was doing and to assess me. And I think at that point, she, she asked me, she said, you know, do I want to know how dilated I am? And I, you know, you do hear of people finding out, you're hearing like you're only four centimeters dilated and getting quite stressed because it sounds like you've got a long way to go until you're fully dilated. Mm. So I let her be the judge of how she was going to manage me and if she felt that I should know or not. Um, I really just wanted to be focused and, and in the zone. I didn't want anything to interfere with my progress. And um, I mean, on that note, my mum had actually come around. We called her just to ask her to bring some, some fruit and some food, just some supplies for us because we didn't really know how long we were going to be in this for. And she was there when I was having contractions. And if people are around you who don't understand what um, sort of preparation you've done and how you want your birth to go it can be very disruptive um, and it can really put you off path uh, for example she you know when I was having a contraction her first response was to come and be my mum and to say things like oh, shame my love is it really sore is it really painful and I definitely didn't want to be talking about how painful it was you know I wanted to be being positive and looking forward and and working out how I'm going to get through it so she stayed for a little bit and left and, you know, we assured her we would call her when, when, when the baby was there. So, um, uh, so Sue, that, so she, she came around, my mum came around at about 5 p.m. And it must have been about 9 p.m. when Sue arrived. So we had a four hours of just working through, breathing through the contractions. They were still manageable. So I, I got in the water at about probably 9 p.m. just before Sue arrived. Um, and mm -hmm. I think during that time, I tried to eat some fruit. I tried, you know, knowing that I was going to need my energy later, I was trying to, I, I ate some fruit, just ensuring I was hydrated. I had some uh, like rehydrated um, drinks around. And, and I did actually get sick. At one point I vomited. Um, and it must have, I think just, I think your body getting ready, uh, for what's to come. I also had a bit of diarrhea, I, you know, again, just your body sort of flushing out your system and getting ready for, for what's to come. And um, yeah, so Sue checked me and I think I must've been four centimeters dilated. She never told me at that point. Um, but we got back into the water. She said, you're doing very well. My water still hadn't broken. And we just started, again, just working through those, those contractions every few minutes. Um, and she, what really helped, was in, in, in the middle of each contraction, she was rubbing my lower back really firmly, which helped a lot. And, and then probably a while later, I started getting the urges to, to push, um, sort of, you know, with, without, it was my body's sort of very natural instinct, almost like convulsing into a push during the con contractions, which was very new um, and unusual. So I, you know, alerted them about that. And um, Sue checked me again, and I was much further on in my dilation. And when those contractions and those sort of uh, pushing surges became more consistent, we spoke about uh, breaking my water. Um, and again, I was very apprehensive about this. You know, you hear in, in, the, in the research I'd done, they say, you know, if you do break your water or if you do bring on labor um, by sort of intervention, it can be a very fast labor. It can be a much more painful labor. You know, all of those kinds of things were running through my head. And I made the decision to, to let Sue break 
break my water on the next contraction. She said, you know, it was, it was right there and the baby was getting so low that she would literally just have to um, put a little bit of pressure there when in the next contraction and it, and it would break. And I'd already sort of gone through the hard part, as she called it, um, of, of labor. So in terms of it getting a lot more intense, it, you know, it was much of a muchness in that sense. So on the next contraction, she examined me and uh, literally a little bit of pressure and that, that water broke um, uh, in, the, in the pool. And, and it wasn't uh, gruesome at all. <laughs> I think people have a, a, a sort of a, a weird visual, visualization of that, um, but it wasn't mucky at all. And um, we carried on from that moment, just the, yeah, the surges were getting more intense and that, that pushing um, sensation was there. And I think uh, mainly actually because of my arm injury, um, I've, I'm quite, I'm not as mobile as I should be in my right arm. And I was really battling to get comfortable in the pool, uh, in the pushing sort of position. I, I found the most comfortable position for me was on my knees and hanging over with my body hanging over the side of the pool. And um, that's how I worked through the contractions, the best I found. And at that point, um, Sue examined me and, and, and baby was definitely crowning. She was right there. So we decided to actually get out the water and get onto my haunches um, just to get a better angle and have sort of more support so that I was, I was better supported. And um, Jerry uh, sat on a chair behind me, holding me up and um, with, um, with each surge, I would kneel sort of hunch down and start pushing. And actually I think that's the time when you arrived uh, if I recall, <laughs> I don't know if that's been disclosed that you were the nurse um, at the birth. Um, so, yeah, at that point, that must have been about 11 p.m., I think. Um, and I was definitely feeling quite exhausted. <laughs> I was drinking water in between contractions um, and just really really focused on being as relaxed as possible in between the contractions to get as much energy and be as rested as possible so that I could focus in on the, on the pushing when it came. Um, so at this point we were out the pool and Jerry was supporting me physically uh, standing behind me and I was sort of on my haunches um, pushing through each when the surges came. And I think the, the beautiful thing I found here was that, you know, there wasn't any instruction. It was, um, I was just told to do what my body was telling me. So um, Sue would wait for my cues to start pushing. And, and that's how, so we were really letting my body and the baby lead the way in this sense. Um, and throughout this, uh, Sue was checking uh, the baby's heart rate on the Doppler. So we were always, anytime there was any fear um, that crept into my head, uh, it was dealt with and I was immediately put back at peace knowing that my baby was safe and that things were, things were, you know, going ahead as they should. It's a very scary time, um, very unknown time. So every experience was new, but, um, knowing the baby was safe was, you know, that sort of kept me going, knowing that I was doing the right thing, kept me going. And, um, at that point, um, Sue could see baby's head, uh, coming she had a mirror which and she actually asked me to feel baby's head I, I, you know at this point things shift completely where they, horribly they call it that ring of fire sensation um, this is when you've got you know so much more pressure below um, and it's really crunch time you know when things are going to start happening and baby's so close um, and I started having doubts I guess uh, you know feeling like you just can't um, can't do it anymore. And I'd actually read up about this. And so when that happened, it was, it was actually quite reassuring when I, as soon as it, that, that saying came into my head of, oh, I can't do this anymore. It was actually so empowering because I, you know, I'd remembered hearing other moms say that this was the time where actually it's so close. You're so close to meeting your baby. And so I got, I felt baby's head. Um, Sue made me put my hands down and feel so that I could actually visualize what was happening um, and have a look in the mirror 
uh, initially I didn't want to, you know, I thought, no, I, I just want to, I just want to keep pushing out. It's going to freak me out if I see what's going on down there. But I did. And it really did help to see just how close baby was. Um, at this point now we were continuing just with the pushes, but she was, she, her head was so close, but it just wasn't progressing. Um, I think I, in my mind, I think I was so exhausted. I wasn't pushing effectively. Um, Sue reassures me I was still doing, you know, perfectly. And um, she suggested we actually get onto the couch at this point so that I could uh, be even more supported and just be more relaxed. And the first thing that came into my head was I shouldn't be lying down <laughs> there. You know, that you, uh, it's very common nowadays to um, hear that lying down is not the best position for labor. You know, you need gravity. You need to get the baby down the birth canal. So lying down just goes against all of that. But at this point, gravity had already done its bit. I was so far along. The baby was already through the birth canal. And so I could lie down quite happily. Um, the hard part was over, as they say. So at this point, Jerry was on the couch and I was lying in his arms pretty much and we just had to um give those final pushes to get baby out and jeepers that that was a game changer moment i really just started feeling that everything i was doing wasn't working <laughs> as hard as i was pushing i was trying every different kind of technique i thought about my you know mind was racing um focusing on the breathing and the pushing and and how you should be doing things and that's when we decided to do an episiotomy. The, um, the muscle, the, that sort of um, perennial muscle was just so tight. And it was um, given to me as a choice. I remember Sue very clearly saying, you know, this is up to you. We can carry on. Your baby will come in time. Um, but with two pushes, we can have a, you know, a small cut and, um, and she'll be here in two pushes. And I remember leaning forward and just saying, Sue, you do whatever you've got to do. <laughs> you know, I am, I, I know the episiotomy sort of debate is a real one as well. Um, but I, I, there's, and, and they are, there are always so many different sides. And I think there's a time and a place for it. Um, and, and I chose to have the episiotomy and literally the first the first that first push there was so much relief release and relief and Sue said right this next one I need you to sit up because you're going to catch your baby and you know she said when you're ready uh, just wait for that just wait and calm calmly wait for that push that urge to push and give me your hands and I took a deep breath and when that urge came I, I gave that push and, and and pulled this baby onto my chest <laughs> and that was it um it was, it was the most surreal, beautiful experience ever. Um, and she gave a little cry <laughs> and she was on my chest. And, um, and I know yourself as the nurse and, and see the midwife, the, it was so incredible, just sort of gently left the room for a moment. And Jerry and I sat there with, this, with our beautiful baby on my chest, um, cord still attached, and just had that moment to ourselves. Um, very surreal moment and to try and take in <laughs> what was happening, which I still can't quite comprehend. And um, yeah, from that moment, it, it was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was unreal. Um, Sue came and, and yourself, you came back in the room to deliver the placenta, which was um, very quick and easy. Um, I'd also got this sort of idea in my head about, you know, the, the afterbirth and how you deliver the placenta. And I was sort of, I found that I'd been really overthinking a lot of it. So um, I was really happy that that went smoothly. And, um, and then once the cord had finished pulsing, uh, Jerry cut the cord um, and then Sue stitched me up. Uh, and that whole time I had baby on my chest. She was just doing that, that crawl up my chest to, to get to my boobs, which again, you know, you read about and when it actually happens, it's, it's bizarre. And, and so um, it's just a miracle, you know, how human life can do these incredible things without being told to. Um, and at that point, Jerry called my mum. He said, I think I better call your mum now. She's, you know, down the road and a complete ball of nerves. His family is up in Limpopo. So we had told them that I was in labor, but of course um, they wouldn't have been able to come in. But we called my mum 
and um, yeah, we called my mum, and she came immediately came down. Um, and so she was here when baby was just a few minutes old. And um, yeah, then we just started doing all of the um, APGAR, all the APGAR tests. And again, you know, this all happened in our, in our living room. Uh, it's such a, a warm and beautiful space for us. So it was just magical. Um, they did all the tests, the weighings, uh, you know, looking back at the photographs, uh, the the babies on the scale on my pajama shorts. <laughs> my pajama shorts are on the scale, and she's on top of them. Um, and um, I know you know things like this might really freak some people out. I hope it's definitely not for everyone. Um, I remember Jerry laughing because my um, La Crusade pan, my non-stick pan, which is my pride and joy, uh, is what was used to sterilize the the scissors for the umbilical cord. <laughs> And, you know, like, it's, and, you know, there are different ways you could do a home birth. Um, but it was just so homely. And um, the best part, I think, for me is that um, the midwife tucked me into bed that night, that morning, that night. I think it was about four in the morning. She took me up to the bathroom, got me cleaned up, got me into my pajamas, tucked me into bed, gave me my baby on my chest. And... Um, and we that's how we went to bed that night you know and we woke up to a spotless house <laughs> in our own home and just to really take in uh that moment and what was happening so that that sorry i could ramble for ages but that in a nutshell uh, in a long nutshell is was is my birth story that is such a beautiful birth story and i felt so privileged to be able to witness it and it, you were just incredibly positive and inspiring throughout um, so thank you for sharing that so now you're at home with your baby when most people are in hospital how did you feel when sue left the, so the very i mean at this point it was half past four in the morning um when everyone left we kind of looked i think i remember my first words to jerry were <laughs> now what they <laughs> yeah. like now what do we do um the best thing was uh, Sue was on, on WhatsApp. All the midwives at Birth Options were on WhatsApp with us. So if we had any questions, we could contact them. Um, but it was really surreal. Uh, it was like everything was in slow motion. Uh, before we knew it, the birds were chirping, the sun was coming up, and we knew we had to get some sleep. <laughs> um, and we just started uh, reflecting on what had happened. Um, Jerry's parents... Uh, when they heard we were in labor, they um, booked their flights immediately. So they were arriving that day. Um, and it was, yeah, just this bubble, bubble of love, really. Um, and it was daunting, of course, as well. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty magical looking back, looking back on the whole thing. And I think just acknowledging that we had, that we had done it, that, that things had gone according to plan. We felt very blessed that we had had the birth that we had wanted. Um, and we hadn't told many people leading up to the birth that that's what we were going to do just in case things didn't go according to plan. I think you don't want to jinx it and you also don't want to have to, you know, explain your disappointment to people. So, um, I mean, I think that, that morning we were just sending everyone messages to let them know the good news. Um, and yeah, and then, and then things just didn't stop from there. <laughs> Life had changed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And then how did you find the postpartum period? How did you find breastfeeding, healing from the episiotomy, and um, how were your emotions? Yes, it was a complete whirlwind. Um, I think any the one bit of advice I have to give uh, mums-to-be is just to eliminate any expectations. Um, you know, everyone's got an opinion about something, and but every mother is different and every baby is different. And so... Um, your breastfeeding journey and your postpartum journey is most likely going to be very different to someone else's. Um, emotionally, I felt um, I was, yeah, it, it, I was, I, I could, you know, everyone says sleep and the baby sleeps. I couldn't sleep. I was just on this like adrenaline journey of note. Um, I had ups and downs, I think, but being, I was very aware of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Um, so I was, I was constantly keeping myself in check in that regard. And 
yeah, hormonally, your body's going through so many changes. So I sort of welcomed the ups and downs. There were times, especially when my milk came in. And I'm so glad someone told me that when your milk comes in, you're going to cry. You, there might be nothing wrong, but you're going to cry. And, and I cried. <laughs> and I'm just so glad that, that I had heard that because there was a moment where both Jerry and I just didn't know what to do. There was nothing wrong. I was just emotional and upset and happy and sad. And, and he didn't know what to do. And um, yeah, we, so we, I definitely had those emotional ups and downs and a pure exhaustion as well. Uh, your body is going through such changes that um, it's very difficult to be prepared for that and to know what to do. Uh, so my advice in that regard is just to be so flexible and so accepting of not being in control <laughs> at certain times. Um, the breastfeeding, my milk came in on time uh, and in abundance. So I'm very fortunate in that regard. Um, she didn't latch very well in the beginning. And I ended up using those uh, nipple shields, the silicone nipple shields to help her. And um, again, I sort of looked up online and there were so many pros and cons about these nipple shields. And at the end of the day, though, my baby was getting milk and it was helping her. So I stuck with them. And as she got stronger, as her mouth grew and as she got stronger and she was learning what to do, I mean, both her and I were learning, things just got easier and easier. And so we eventually ditched the nipple shields and she was latching well um and the milk was coming so that was good so breastfeeding um it did take a lot of perseverance and a lot of patience but i'm successfully still exclusively breastfeeding um i express now one bottle for the night shift and jerry and i take turns it's normally about a 4am feed so we just take turns of that just to make sure we're both sort of getting um good sleep and um yeah other than that um trying to think what else the, in terms of the physical healing um, the episiotomy healed well but it did take that six weeks it, it was at the six week checkup where it was it had healed beautifully but it was still a little bit tender so um i was just making sure i was very gentle with myself um at that you know in that period afterwards uh it, it um yeah but it, the healing was it was, yeah, just, I think, sensitive afterwards, but, but nothing too sort of severe. Um, it, yeah, it, it wasn't, um, it was definitely manageable in that sense. Um, I did go to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist afterwards uh, just to advise me. Uh, it's something that people, I didn't really know about. People always talk about Kegeling and strengthening your pelvic floor muscles, and it really actually is really important. Um, I think whether you've had a natural birth or a cesarean, that connective tissue that holds up all your organs is put under a lot of pressure. So the healing of that is really important. Um, so I'm really glad that I got that information. I normally also, I love running and yoga. And so to make sure that I could get back into that in a healthy way, without doing damage. I think once you do, you don't want to do permanent damage to that connective tissue. So uh, I've already put a lot of time into um, ensuring that I was doing pelvic floor exercises uh, and the right way. And, you know, cause I think you can think you're doing the right kind of Kegeling and you're actually doing damage. So I would suggest um, people get professional advice on that as well as the, is it the diastasis recti or when your stomach muscles often after, um, after pregnancy, they sort of separate. I carried very quite small in my pregnancy. So I didn't have a problem with that at all. But again, you know, going straight into those tummy crunches and ab workouts straight after birth is not a good idea <laughs> because you can cause permanent damage. So I think being aware of that kind of thing um, and not putting any pressure on myself to get straight back onto uh, the road and running um, was important just to be take it really slow and just go with the flow um, and know that my journey was going to be very different to, to everyone else's. Um, that's kind of helped. Since you're so well researched, I think we should also ask you what other resources um, you would recommend for pregnant women? Um, yeah, you know, Megan, I, so I think 
Um, Google is great, but you've got to be so discerning <laughs> about what information you're taking in. I found the, the groups on Facebook really helpful because um, they're moms who have who've actually gone through this and have tried and tested dif different techniques. And um, so I think even um, like the natural birthing for South Africa group on Facebook, um, the Lalesh South Africa group for breastfeeding, um, there are a couple of there are for the birth. There were quite a couple of hypnobirthing uh, women that I followed internationally. Um, I think uh, KG Hypnobirthing, and I think it's a positive birth company. And there's a lady uh, Justine Zappa is her Instagram handle. <laughs> um, you know, following her on Instagram, I found really empowering and, and informative. Um, but the group, yeah, the Facebook groups where you've got mums who are actually talking through their experiences and the solutions that really help them, I found that to be um, really useful and to this day very useful. Uh, you know, what um, works for one mum might not work for the other. So at least you can, you can try them out and put them aside if they're not working and, and then try someone else's advice until you find what works for you. Um, yeah, the Facebook groups. Um, that's yeah i think that's where i was mainly getting my info and then the midwives as well i think the the hypnobirthing um antenatal classes that we did were so informative and they come with a whole bunch of other resources as well trusted resources that you can can go to yeah thanks for those resources and i guess final question would be how has coronavirus lockdown affected your postpartum period how's it affected it positively and negatively what are your thoughts i think so positively um being forced to have this downtime has been really good and really beneficial i think for for me and for baby and for our whole family obviously we're disappointed that we can't be out and about with our baby uh, during this maternity time but I think forcing us to go on a go slow has been good and um, getting baby into a routine has been great as well. I know the word routine, uh, everyone says you shouldn't um, bother with it, you know, <laughs> but um, we've, we've really just got into a good rhythm and we've had this proper one-on-one -on -one time to get to know our baby. I think visitors are and, and family and support is so important. But I did find the beginning, that first week of my after, um, after birth, it was extremely overwhelming having visitors. And um, so I think actually you know, not being able to have visitors can have its benefits as well uh, during coronavirus. Um, because it does eliminate stress. It, it is sad as well. You want to celebrate and be around those you love and family is, is so important. But I think forcing you to have that one-on-one -on -one time and, and, and just as a little family unit, have that bonding time is so crucial. So that's definitely a positive that's come from the coronavirus, I would say. That's great, thanks. And is there anything else you want to add, Megan, before we finish up today? Um, I think for me, just acknowledging that everyone's journey is different is so important. Also, not getting too caught up on uh, Instagram and Facebook in terms of how other people are living their life. I think there's um, the perception about how some people's uh, lives are being lived and they're not always accurate. So don't set yourself up for a, an, an Instagram life, if you would, um, and just be so flexible with, with yourself and, and, so that you can be at peace with what's to come. Uh, your baby's going to take you on a, on a magical journey and you really just, I think, yeah, eliminate your expectations and, and, just, and just go with the flow, which for a lot of people is difficult. I myself am, am quite a control freak, so that has been difficult. Um, but uh, I think other than that, just it, it's something both Jerry and I experienced uh, was people for some reason love telling you negative stories. And I think it's maybe to prepare you or help you avoid certain things, but you know, the negative stories really start manifesting themselves in your head. So I would suggest just surrounding yourself with positive stories and positive experiences and, and um, getting ready for, for a, a great experience and not, you know, don't be naive. Um, uh, about about 
you know, how things could turn out, but just, yeah, surround yourself with the positive stories because those are the ones that, that um, will start, start manifesting in, in, you know, in your story. Um, but yeah, stay away from the negativity because it can really get you down and, you know, take over from there. Um, and other than that, I would just say, when your baby comes, take so many videos and photos because <laughs> it goes so quickly. I found um, when I look back on, on our videos from when she was first born to now, she's nearly four months. I cannot believe it. And I'm so grateful I've got that, that footage. Uh, we, we've invested in some cloud storage to keep all the photos and videos. Um, but it, it really does go quickly. And your mind is so foggy at times post, postpartum. So yeah, I'll try and take it all in. Thank you so much. That is uh, just all excellent advice. And it's uh, been so great to hear your birth story today. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. I think, um, I think the other thing that um, just keep that the one sort of saying that always sticks in my mind is that, um, uh, you know, not all cesareans are traumatic and not all natural births are empowering. And that's just really stuck with me. I know there's so much stigma and pressure attached to birth nowadays. Um, and moms really feel that it, it affects their, their whole pregnancy and their whole birth. And no, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I think whatever suits you best as the mum is the way you should do it. And if you feel safe in a hospital, you should be in a hospital. And if you feel safe at home, that's where you should be. And um, so that was just the, I know the one saying that really stuck to me that, yeah, not all cesareans are traumatic and not all natural births are, are empowering. Um, but that's, yeah, just in closing, that's, I think, really important to remember. Yeah, that is so very true. And we definitely hope for more women having more empowered births. Um, so thank you for sharing with us this uh, inspirational, very encouraging birth story for You're us. You're welcome. And um, yeah, we just wish you all the best going forward. Thank you. Thank you for listening into Megan's home birth story. Please visit the website www.southafricanbirthstories.co.za for more birth stories and also to see the resources recommended by Megan in this episode. If you are considering a home birth in South Africa, then go to www.homebirth.org.za for loads of information. I have felt very privileged to witness births here in South Africa and to see that everyone's birth and journey is so different. If you have any questions or are looking for more resources, you can contact me via Instagram or through the website. Also, jump online if you'd like to tell your birth story. It's very easy. You just need to fill in the form. Thanks again for listening in and supporting this podcast series. Remember that new birth stories are released each week. Until next time, take care.